My wife and I are in the middle of a dilemma right now. Where do we put the Christmas tree? We have a really nice artificial tree that we've had for a long time. It's traveled with us from Delaware to Kentucky to Florida to another place in Florida to Oklahoma. And it's still in really good condition. Uh, but the way our house is laid out, where the windows are and where the uh, heat ducts are and everything, it, it's kind of hard to, to find a spot for it. Uh, last Christmas, we didn't use it because uh, our son and family were living with us, and so that just kind of took up that much more room. But this year, it's just the two of us, but the house hasn't gotten any bigger. Uh, without totally rearranging everything in the house and still being able to accommodate people and guests and do the normal things that we want to do, uh, there's just not any room. Now we have what my wife says is a pencil tree. Uh, it's this artificial tree about, I don't know, maybe five feet high that uh, makes Charlie Brown's tree look healthy. Uh, and that's what we used last year, and I guess that's what we're going to have to use this year. Uh, the, the problem with our other tree is it's just really big around and takes up a lot of space. So I've been looking at a, a skinnier tree, and some are just too skinny, and there's some that aren't much smaller than the one we have, and so I need to find one that's just right, you know, kind of like Goldilocks. Uh, another problem is they're really expensive. I mean, I've seen some in our price range, but they really look artificial. Uh, if we get one, we will be in hopes that it will last for a long time like this one has. But should this really be a big deal? I mean, there's nothing Christian about a Christmas tree except what we make it, because Christ alone needs to be the center of Christmas, not a tree. Let's pray. Father, we just give you thanks uh, for this time of year. Lord, help us to, to focus on what really is important, and that's the birth of your Son, Jesus Christ. So, Lord, help us to uh, not be so concerned about all of the other stuff that has been added to it and make sure that we keep Jesus uh, first and foremost in our celebrations. So, Lord, as we look at your word today, Father, help us to, to see and hear what you want. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I continue to look at Christmas hymns or songs, um, this one's more well-known than the, the last two. This is O Little Town of Bethlehem. Okay, and in, in case you're wondering about the title of the message, House of Bread, uh, that's what Bethlehem means, House of Bread. So that's why I gave it that title. Uh, it was originally called Ephrath uh, and got its name changed to Bethlehem. So let me give you a little history on this song. It says, When Phillips Brooks was rector at the Holy Trinity in Philadelphia, his parishioners in August of 1865 sent him abroad for a year. 
His travels took him through Europe and in December to the Holy Land. Here, with reverent feet, he traced the footsteps of his Lord and Master from Nazareth southward and visited the scenes of the Bible narrative. After two weeks spent in Jerusalem, Christmas Eve found him in the little town of Bethlehem at the birthplace of Jesus. Of his stirring emotions on that holy night, he wrote this, or excuse me, he wrote to his Sunday school back in Philadelphia. It said, I remember especially on Christmas Eve when I was standing in the old church at Bethlehem, close to the spot where Jesus was born, when the whole church was ringing hour after hour with the splendid hymns of praise to God, and the service went on from 10 p.m. to 3 a.m., if you can imagine that, uh, how again and again it seemed as if I could hear the voices I knew very well telling each other of the wonderful night of the Savior's birth, as I had heard the year before. And I assure you, I was glad to shut my ears for a while and listen to the more familiar strains that came wandering to me halfway around the world. Okay, so two years after his return to America, still full of the thrilling memories of Bethlehem, Phillips Brooks wrote for his Sunday school the Christmas hymn, O Little Town of Bethlehem, which for a long time had been singing in his soul. In this he has embodied as the prose descriptions of places visited in the Holy Land, the spiritual meaning of what he saw there. Okay, so now the first verse of O Little Town of Bethlehem is known by people that have never gone to church before because it's just one of those songs that's out there this time of year. And it's one that way back uh, when schools used to have Christmas concerts uh, would be sung. But now they have winter concerts and sing about Frosty and Jingle Bells. But uh, A Little Town of Bethlehem was certainly one of the top favorites. So let me give you the words that you know well to the first verse. There's a little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Yet in the dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. Well, Bethlehem itself was nothing special. Uh, except to God, which is the most important thing. Micah 5, 2 tells us this. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will rule over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Okay, so God was giving this to Micah, 700 years before Jesus was born, that God had special plans for Bethlehem, the city of David. And God still takes what's insignificant and makes it extraordinary in so many different ways. So Joseph had to go there for the census that had been called to the city of David because you had to go to the 
the city of your birth or the city of your roots, and that was Bethlehem for Joseph. Uh, the next line goes on to say, Yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. You know, we're used to street lights and lights from businesses and homes and, and all, but in uh, cities and villages at that time, uh, once the sun went down, it started getting dark and darker and darker uh, because they didn't have the lights that we do. So that was about to change forever because the everlasting light came. Now, the Church of the Nativity is one of the oldest working churches in existence today. The, the church was built by the Roman Emperor Constantine around 327. And where the, um, the grotto, where Mary gave birth. Now, what's significant about that is that's where the everlasting light began. And it tells us the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. The Messiah was here after hundreds of years of waiting and praying and prophesying. Uh, Jesus had arrived. Well, verse 2, certainly not as familiar, tells us this. For Christ is born of Mary and gathered all above, while mortals sleep the angels keep their watch of wandering love. O morning stars together proclaim his holy birth, and praises sing to God the King, and peace to men on earth. Just as the angel Gabriel had told Mary, she would give birth to the Savior. This was probably not the way she had expected things to go. I mean, here she was, you know, preparing to be married and pregnant and not knowing, you know, just what to expect. Uh, I'm sure he had seen many other women, you know, pregnant and having babies and all. But now here she was away from home, no family, just her and Joseph, no midwife to uh, help her in the birth. Uh, no place to put the baby when the when Jesus came. And, you know, not in the most sanitary of conditions, but in a stable with who knows how many stinking animals. But it was exactly the way God had planned. And that's what's important. Okay, it, it tells us, and gathered all above in that verse, can you picture the angels? I mean, I, I think of this happening and just all of the angels gathered around, you know, looking into this stable. And Jesus is born, you know, and just their rejoicing and singing of praises and seeing God born as a baby, you know, just as a human. I mean, they had known Jesus, you know, in the streets of heaven, and now here he was on earth. So when did this happen? Well, it tells us when mortals sleep. Just a regular night in many ways. Well, maybe not quite so regular because all these 
extra people were there for the census. But still, it wasn't anything special to anybody else. And we've been told about the heartless innkeeper. Uh, Scripture doesn't tell us that. But uh, this person, that, or many persons maybe, that turned them away, was really unaware of, of Mary, uh, who she was or who the child was that she was carrying. Uh, you know, if they would have told the innkeeper, say, you know, hey, my baby's going to be the son of God, you know, can't you have a little pity on me? They probably would have laughed at her and sent him away. But there's more to that line. It says, the angels keep their watch of wandering love. You know, I can picture that stable being well protected. You know, probably legions of angels uh, protecting that stable, making sure that nothing was going to happen, that there was going to be no harm to Mary or to the baby or to Joseph. So the next line says, O morning stars together proclaim the holy birth. The sky was full of stars shouting out about the birth of the Savior. They proclaim the birth along with the shepherds. In Luke 2.17 it says, When they, the shepherds, had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. Now, they knew that they had been seeing something special. And they were especially chosen because when they got to the stable where the angel told them to go, there wasn't a whole bunch of other people there. It's not like they got there and they had to you know, make their way through the crowd. No, it was just them. They were given a special privilege. And they wanted the world to know about it. In verse 3, it says, How silently, how silently, the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him, still the dear Christ enters in. Well, it says how silently, how silently, but I'm not sure how silently things were done because we had all those angels singing glory to God. And then we had the shepherds. Uh, we don't know how many shepherds, so there were at least two, uh, going out and just anybody that they could find telling about what had happened. But there wasn't the fanfare of the King of Kings, not what the Lord of Lords deserved. You know, it should have been something that was shouted out by everyone, not just by a few lowly shepherds. The next verse, or the next line goes on to tell us, so God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. That's such an important line because the gift is to be in our hearts. It's not something that's contained in a building or not contained in a book or even in the mind. Okay? The blessings of his heaven. You know, God's Son is the best gift ever given. You know, God knew exactly what we needed and that only Jesus could provide that. 
Now, the last part of that verse is, No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him, still the dear Christ enters in. Meek souls will receive him. Hmm. The lines up or along with that, what Jesus said in Luke 18, starting in verse 16, it says, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never, never enter it. You know, the meek souls will receive him. Well, who has a, a meeker soul than a child? You know, a child is, is innocent. A child is willing to accept things. A child is willing to, you know, be interested and to learn and to uh, not have to be, you know, something proven to them, you know, scientifically or whatever. They just accept it because that's what they're told. Now, verse 4 is usually omitted. Uh, you know, most of your hymnals, if you look, you won't find that there is a fourth verse or that there's five verses altogether. Uh, so this is what the verse is, but I, I never really found why it was omitted because it tells us we're children, pure and happy, where misery cries out to thee. Son of the mother mild, where charity stands watching and faith holds open, excuse me, and faith holds the door, wide the door, the dark night wakes, the glory breaks, and Christmas comes once more. Now, the first line goes back to the scripture from Luke that I just read, children pure and happy, ready to accept the truth of the gospel. But the next line says, where misery cries out to thee. You know, the Israelites had been living in misery for hundreds of years, waiting for the Messiah to come. And, you know, they saw the Messiah, or pictured the Messiah, as their knight in shining armor, that he was going to come charging in on a big white horse with a armor on and, uh, you know, a sword just ready to, to fight off the Romans and to free the, the Israelites. Well, Luke 19 tells us of the mother mild. Okay, the, the shepherds had made their visit, and then this is what Luke 19 tells us, that Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Okay, ponder, not a word that I use commonly. So I went to the dictionary to see. And it says it's something that you give thought to, reflect on, mull over, contemplate, study, meditate on, deliberate about, dwell on, ruminate about, chew over, turn over in one's mind. In other words, it's something that she didn't forget. It's something that, you know, she kept, uh, you know, in the foremost of her thoughts. And just what had happened. And I really like this next line. It says, faith holds wide the door. It takes faith to walk through the door of salvation. But the door is always open. It's always open for anyone. Acts 2.21, where Peter, he's quoting Joel too, 
He says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Okay, you're not too young or too old. You're not too rich or too poor. You're not too healthy or too sick. You're not too good or too bad. The door is wide open for any and all to come to the Lord. Well, the last lines of verse 4 are this. The dark night wakes, the glory breaks, and Christmas comes once more. The world tries so very hard to remove the real meaning of Christmas, but it can't. And it's up to us to make sure that it doesn't. Well, in verse 5, it says, O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray, cast out our sin, and enter in, be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell. O come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. Okay, that, that first line, O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. As we celebrate the first coming of Jesus, we pray for the second coming of Christmas. And I mean, we won't look at it as Christmas, but it'll be Jesus' second coming. And we know that it's going to happen because Jesus told us that it would. Paul told us that it would, that it would. And we have the faith that it's going to happen. But when... You know, I'm sure that the first century Christians thought it's going to be happening. You know, it's going to happen soon. And, you know, we, we just know that it's going to happen. Well, it didn't happen. And I'm sure that there's been many times throughout history when people thought, hey, the second coming has got to be soon. You know, as we went through world wars, you know, I'm sure people thought, you know, that's it, got to happen. When we started dropping atomic bombs, you know, people had to think, you know, this has got to be it. And, you know, even today we still think, you know, we look at the signs and us that are believers, we think, you know, let's bring it on, Lord. But in First Thessalonians 5, verses 1 and 2, Paul tells us, Now, brothers and sisters, about the times and dates we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. I like the way Paul wrote that. You know very well. It's like, you know, how many times do I need to tell you this? Because I'm sure that, you know, people where he was ministering, you know, wouldn't ask him, you know, well, when's this going to happen? You know, when is Christ coming again? Well, Jesus told us in Matthew twenty-four thirty-six, he says, But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So Jesus is saying, I don't even know. You know, you wanting me to tell you when it's going to happen, I don't know. You know, just the Father. And it will be when he decides that it's time that the second coming is needed. Just like he decided when the time of the first coming was needed. 
Well, it tells us, cast out our sin and enter in, be born in us today. Exactly what is needed in everyone and what God wants to see happen. 1 Timothy 2, verses 3 and 4. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. God's not hoping that this group of people won't become believers or that this nation will not become believers, that they will reject him. It tells us that he wants all to become believers. And then that last line of this hymn, O come to us, abide with us, our Lord, Emmanuel. Okay, to abide, to live in us, to be housed in us, to be the residence of the Lord. You know, I mean, that's our longing. That's our prayer. You know, most of us have friends or loved ones that don't know our Lord and Savior. And we pray that they'll come to make Jesus their Savior. In the last church where we served, we made this whosoever box. I know I've talked about it before, where people would put in names of, of others that, you know, to their knowledge, did not know the Lord as Savior. And we would pray over that box. And it was always on our prayer list. And there was always somebody coming up, putting another name or names in there. And nobody knows whose names were in there because there was no way to open that box. And, you know, we've got a lot of whosoever's in our lives. And each one of us was a whosoever at one time until we came to the Lord. Hopefully you make Christmas real to someone this year. That They've been doing all the Santa stuff and the, the gifts and the food and the, the celebrations. And, you know, a lot of people think it's a, a good time to, to party and to, to drink and, and all. Hopefully there's someone in your life that's going to see the real meaning of Christmas this year. And the Lord will show you how you can be a part of that, how you can make that happen for someone. So let's pray. Father, I just give you thanks for my brothers and sisters that know you and love you and have you living in them. And Father, uh, I just pray that they will just live out the, the true meaning of Christmas, that uh, people will see Jesus in them, and that they can make a difference in the life of someone else, that they will uh, seize the opportunities to let someone know the real meaning of Christmas, that it doesn't matter how many ships are still out waiting to be unloaded, because that's not Christmas. Christmas is just opening ourselves to Jesus. And so, Father, if there's someone that's listening that doesn't know that, that doesn't know your son, that's heard the Christmas story and celebrated Christmas forever, but not really celebrated the reason for Christmas, Lord, I pray that they will um, ask the questions that they need to ask of the, the people that know and that they will decide to make Christ real in their lives for the first time. And Lord, let them know that they need to pray like this. Dear Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need a Savior.
And I know the only Savior is your Son, Jesus, that you sent to us at Christmas. Lord, help me to believe, help me to have the faith that I need to know that Jesus is all I need. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen.